0: But this morning, I want you to maybe think about it a little bit differently. Um, as the kids said this morning, as they read the story, we're going to focus a little bit on that scene. Mary and Joseph have to, what happened to us during this time, they were in Nazareth, that's north of Bethlehem. Being from Nazareth, that's where they were living at the time, the Roman government would take a census every 14 years. The census meant that you would leave you wherever you were living and you would travel to the country of or the city of your birth, where you grew up, where you were born. So what that meant was since it was a time for the census, it meant that Joseph had to make a trip to Bethlehem. The trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 80 miles, so very similar to the trip of from here to Omaha, only they didn't have planes, they didn't have cars, They didn't have tractors. They basically had donkeys, camel, and foot. And to add to the story, Mary is uh, eight months pregnant. So those of you who have born children, at eight months pregnant, if your spouse looked at you and said, Let's walk to Omaha. What would your response be? And the, and the train's pretty rugged. I mean, there are some pretty sharp, steep places along the street. But the story goes that Joseph and Mary, they were engaged. At that time, engagement was kind of like marriage. I mean, and, and the angel had said, we talked to this last week, the angel said, no, you go ahead and take her to your wife. You don't let this be an issue. You go ahead. And so they head down. And he could have made the trip without her, but he doesn't. takes her with him, and they make this incredible journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now what's interesting about the story is, if this is his hometown, where's his family? He gets to Bethlehem to register for the census. And there's no place for them to stay. And you know the story, so they find an inn. What would happen is there were places that were set up. I mean, in this culture, you need to understand, it was a much different culture. If somebody knocked on your door and said, I'm traveling through the area, I, 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 it's getting late, I need a place to stay. Common courtesy, common culture said you took them in. And they would have some places along the way that were kind of known for that. And often you would have, it would just be like, for instance, um, I, I've had people come through in um, that have been friends of ours and they've been hauling like a fifth wheel. And so what do I say? I say, look, I've got plenty of space. Haul it in. We'll hook it up. Um, you can stay in the house. You can stay at the fifth wheel. Do whatever you want. I made space for their fifth wheel. In that day, if they had animals, you would have to kind of, Take care of the animals and get them some food and get them some water and stuff like that. So often, places to stay, motels, whatever you want to call it, inns, had some place associated with, here's a place to park your animal. When they get there, they get to an inn, and the best that they can find out is, it's full. It's a a busy time, and we've got no room. There's no vacancy here. And the inn owner, looking at this pregnant woman, feels sorry for her and says, but, you know, I got this. And so Joseph looks at Mary and says, you know, we got nothing else, let's do it. And so this child is born, and as this child is born, they're trying to figure out a nice, clean ICU unit to put this child in and the best thing they come up with is a feeding trough. All the little beautiful manger scenes that you got, forget it. Okay, It was basically, tradition says realistically, it was probably a carved out thing in a kind of cave that you put feed and water in. So, those of you who have animals, I know what the watering trough for my dog looks like right now. Can you imagine dumping out the water, wiping it out the best I could, and taking a newborn and saying, here, I'm going to put him in here. That's the best they could do. So that's the story of the birth of this child. Now, we want to focus on, like we have been last week and this week, on the angels. Because I think there's, it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating in the story of the angels. Think about it for a minute. For those of you that have had children, when your child, when you found out that you were expecting, what's the big question that comes into your mind? What's one of the questions that comes, comes right to mind? doctor looks at you and says, Well, congratulations. You guys are expecting triplets. Um, you know, what, what comes to your mind? What have I done? Uh, yeah, what have I done? What have I done? No, I mean, you know, all of a sudden they say, Hey, look, you know, you're expecting. And so there you are with your spouse, and you're going, yay, 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 yay. Now, here's a question that's going to pop into your head. Who do I tell first? Because you know family dynamics. You know, it's like, you know, now kids are like, oh, I'll just tweet it to everybody. Um, you know, or I'll Facebook it with a sonogram picture. No, there's always a big, pick, there's always a big, it's a big thing about who you tell First, and, and, and the order that you tell people. You know, it's kind of like when you get engaged, girls. You know, it's like, who do we tell first? And, and, and how do I let everybody know? And, and there's an order to that for some reason. So think about it for a minute. Uh, are you getting that cleared up now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, think about it for a second. So here is God, creator of the universe wrapping himself in human flesh, putting himself on this planet to walk among us, and he has a question. Who do I tell first? Who do we tell first? And who he picks tells us so much about God. Because who does he pick? Shepherds. Now, you and I have grown up, if you've been around the Bible enough, you have this idea of shepherds as a good thing, right? I mean, David was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. You know, we have this kind of shepherd Old Testament idea that, like, shepherds are, are like, the kind of people that God likes to use. He likes to use shepherds. At, at, at that time, it was an agrarian culture. In an agrarian culture, taking care of animals was kind of like the thing, but we're not in an agrarian culture anymore at this time in history. This time in history, Rome has come in and they built ro- roads and cities and set up um, uh, ways to purchase things and, and Rome's building all of these fancy buildings and all of these opulent pla- palaces and, and, and everything else. And so the people who had these agrarian kind of cultures, kind of lifestyle, they were like pushed off to the side they're not that important anymore that's not like a preferred occupation anymore and then in addition to that you have the jewish people who bethlehem is this like little hamlet outside of jerusalem um here who would be the question you ever get this question when you're in interested a uh, question like uh, um i get it because i'm the pastor um where's holly springs And so I start by saying, do you know where Climbing Hill is? And the answer is, no. And I say, okay, do you know where Mobile is? A lot of them go, no. Do you know where Sioux City is? Yeah, I know where Sioux City is. Okay, good, let's start from there. Okay, Jerusalem was like the big Sioux City of the day. Bethlehem was like Holly Springs. It was a little hamlet. In fact, in, in ancient writings, it's barely ever mentioned. In the Bible, it has an important role. Um uh Rachel dies here. Benjamin is born here, David has a big role there, uh Ruth is married here. It it has a big role in Bible stuff, but as far as as far as history kind of stuff, Bethlehem was like this little place in the middle of nowhere. Nobody paid much attention to Bethlehem. Uh and if you're a Jew, you want to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the big city. That's where all Jews are. I mean, that's where the temple is, that's where the worship is. And here's a problem. If you're a, a devout, religious, orthodox Jew, what are you doing during this time? You're keeping all of the festivals and all the rituals, and you, do, you practice the Sabbath right and the holy days, and you wash your hands like the three times, and you say everything that you're supposed to say, and then you eat, and da-da-da, and you do everything right. But here's a problem. A shepherd couldn't do any of that. See, a shepherd had to be with the sheep on the Sabbath, so he was working on the Sabbath. A shepherd was out in the wilderness, so a shepherd didn't have time to wash his hands three times and recite everything that he was supposed to recite and wash with clean hands. A shepherd couldn't look at him and say, hey, look, it's Passover, I'm taking off for a couple of days, I'll come back, you guys just take care of yourselves. So in this culture, a shepherd was not looked at with a lot of, uh, uh, of, of grace and dignity. In fact, they were really the outcasts of society, so to speak. The shepherd couldn't, couldn't not touch dead things. He was living out in the field. Um, so for a shepherd, these are guys who are just basically, to a degree, they're societal outcasts, if you will. And here's what God does. God says, I'm going to tell... The shepherds first. Now, a little bit of background here. Give you a couple of tradition things that might help you. There is a tower in between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Um, the tower was kind of this spot that you could sit and watch over a large area. Historically, we believe that there were what we called in that area Pascal shepherds, and here's what a Pascal shepherd. Was. They were shepherds that specialized in lambs that were fit for Passover sacrifice. So there's a lot of belief that the shepherds are actually Pascal shepherds. They're watching over lambs and sheep that ultimately will go to the Passover. And they will probably be the ones to sell those sheep to people who are going up to Jerusalem to sacrifice later on. And so there's some idea that that they might be a mom. There is a tradition during this time also that when a child was born, one of the things that they would do is so. For instance, um, in our family, you know, Josh was born in the end of November. Jimmy's born in the end of December. So, in ours, you know, there we have certain events in our culture. When a child's born, you call people up. They come to the hospital. They see you. They bring you baby clothes. Right. Um. In this culture, you know what you did? You got a bunch of people together and they sang. Huh? Um, you know, they sang. And it wasn't the blues. Um, they, they would sing and they would celebrate the birth. And sometimes you'd actually hire singers to kind of come and sing outside. Now let's talk about the story for a second. Let's put some of these pieces together. Here's what happened. First of all, the angel comes. And he tells them, fear not. Three times he says, fear not. Why? Because these guys are standing out on the hillside, going through the routine, doing the shepherd thing, and all of a sudden, they see this angel. And they're scared to death. Because often, in this time, I mean, you saw an angel, it was like, okay, they thought they were seeing God, and if they saw God, they knew they'd be dead. So there there was a fear that was associated with them. Um, But it says, he says, fear not, because I bring you what? Kids, help me out. I bring you what? Good tidings. Good tidings. So I'm bringing you good news. This is good. And he goes on to say what? For unto you is born this day. So he's saying, look, there's a child that you need to go see. And he tells him about this child. He says that he is a a savior. And you will find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, or lying in a feeding trough. And so they tell this story. And then he goes on to say that, and suddenly there was what? Okay, suddenly there's a multitude of the heavenly host. Now, this doesn't mean much to us. But what did the multitude do? What? So they were doing what? Singing. So all of a sudden now, and this is where this story gets really cool. I want you to stop now, and let's kind of backtrack all the way back to Genesis. Who was present when God created the world? The angels. So the angels are present at the first creation. Throughout heaven, there goes this little whisper. You're not going to believe what God's done. You're not going to believe what God's done. God is going to walk among them. God is going to wrap himself up like one of them. And he is going to be born and he is going to walk among them. And all of heaven says we got And so as the angel is standing there saying, fear not, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, look, we're going to sing like these people have never heard something before. Why? Because we're seeing the most incredible thing in all the world. And so the angels sing. And what do they sing? Glory to God, right? That's Glory to God. Think about this concept for a minute. The glory of God did what? It led the children of Israel all the way across the desert into the promised land, right? And and it led them by a pillar of cloud, a, a pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day, okay? Here's a question. Then what happened to the glory of God? See, this is why Israel struggled because every day they could see God. Now all of a sudden, they can't see Him now and they get they get They get a little nervous. And now all of a sudden the angels are standing there and they're saying, God's glory has come back. It's going to walk among you again, just like it did when when it was leading Israel in in the wilderness. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. Shalom. We get the idea of peace means absence of conflict. That's not what this passage is talking about. Because you know, Jesus came on the scene, it was not absence of conflict. All right? He he ruffled a lot of feathers. What was peace? Peace meant completeness, wholeness. It was this idea even to this day? When when you talk to a Jew, a true Orthodox Jew, how does it how does the conversation begin and end? Shalom, shalom. And if you've ever heard an Orthodox Jew say this, it is awesome. You know, I'll never forget. Is in Jerusalem, we made this deal with this guy, and at the end of it. I know, he reached out his hand, and I'll never forget. I still see it, because we were in his shop. And he shook out his hand, and he went, Shalom! I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> it's like, that is so cool to hear in Israel, you know, in a Jewish shop where nobody spoke English. And it's a one, it's a one Hebrew word I knew. You know, and so I went, Shalom! You know, you know or, you know, if you're in the South, Shalom! Uh, you know, but I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, and what they were saying was, Peace and, 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 and goodness and wholeness and, and everything great come to you. That's what I want for you. And he said, in this thing, the angels say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Shalom. And notice what else he says. Goodwill to men. Not goodwill to the Jews. I'm bringing you good news. I'm bringing you goodwill. I'm bringing you an offer, an opportunity here, unlike the world has ever, ever seen. And the angels are standing there singing to their heart's content for these shepherds to understand what they're about ready to go and witness. And then I love the rest of the story. You know how it goes. Think about it for a minute. You're a shepherd. You're sitting there watching this thing, and it's like, whoa. And what do they do? they immediately leave, they immediately find this child and they worship and then if you go on and read the rest of the story it says that they went out and they told everybody what they had seen and I imagine I, 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 again, mind's eye not what this Bible says by my, my, my imagination, but I imagine if they were truly Pascal shepherds that later on one day they're standing there and a the guy's going, hey I need a Passover lamb and the guy's going, okay I'll sell this Passover lamb but I've got to tell you a story first This will take care of you this year, but let me tell you what I got to see. There's a lamb that takes away the sin of the world that means we don't have to keep doing this. That's going to put me out of a job, and I'm good with that. couple of lessons, two lessons from the story. First of all, who God came to. You realize who God chose to tell this message to first. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't pull out like the best rabbis of the day. He didn't go to the schools where all the new rabbis were learning. He didn't go to the palace where the king was. He didn't go to the Roman emperor. He didn't go to all of the the guys who were in charge. He didn't even go to to a home of an average person. He picked the people in that culture that everybody looked down on the most. He picked people who who he realized they could never keep up with keeping their hands washed like the law said. They could never make all the festival days. They could never take off on all the Sabbaths like they were supposed to do. They could never keep all the rules. Those are the people that I want to tell first because I want these people to understand it is not about them. It is about Jesus, and it is about His gift. And I deal with so many people that here's what they think. If I clean myself up a little bit, then God can accept me. You know, God doesn't want me like I am right now. My life's a mess. You know all the stuff that I've done? You know how many times I've messed it up? And God's going, oh, no, 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 no. You're exactly the person I'm all about. Because you will put your faith and trust in me. Not your works, not your money, not how all the things that you can do. All, no, you're going to put your faith and trust in me. And that's the key to, to following me. And Jesus says, And God said, look, talks to the angels and says here's what I'm going to do and when you go announce this to the world there's going to be a group of shepherds and I can just hear the angels going really shepherds you know there's there's three wise guys down here (laughs) that you can go tell the story to too and he goes oh no I got them covered but let's take care of the shepherds first you know there's a whole lot of people in Jerusalem that would really like to know this yeah I know but I want to tell the shepherds first well you not Why don't you let Rome know what's going to happen? No, no, no. I want to tell the shepherds first. So you take this message to them first. Because that's the type of people I want to send a message to the world that I care about. And I don't care how bad you messed it up. I don't care how much garbage you've got. I don't care how much baggage you have with you. You need to understand. God says, I'm coming to you because I don't need you to clean up anything. That's my job. I'm coming to you because I want you, as you are, period. I'll take care of the rest of them. So I think that's a great message in this story. The second thing is, I think you see the response God wants from us. What do these shepherds do? They left. They got somebody to take care of the sheep, and then they hightailed out of here. Listen, those of you who have animals, you know how hard it is to take a vacation, don't you? What if I told you you had to leave immediately for a week? You'd be scrambling around. You'd be debating whether or not you should do it. You'd be debating whether or not what the weather's going to do. Can you get this thing here? Can you get this thing here? What did they do? They immediately said, we're gone. Somehow found people to take care of their sheep or God miraculously took care of them. I don't know, but they took off. And they said, we have to go see this. And they come and they worship. And then they go back and they tell Everybody. That's the response God wants from us. What does He want? He wants us to believe with our heart enough that we do something about it. You go, well, you know, yeah, I believe in God. You know what? Here's the thing the Bible says the devils believe and tremble. Belief's not enough. Those of you know, okay, I've tried to, I've gone a long time without using the illustration. It's been over a year. You can believe you're going to jump out of a plane. but when you let go, then you've jumped out of the plane. And you can believe all you want that you can do it. And even in my mind, I believe that I could do it, but until I let go, I wasn't sure I could do it. It required an action. Now, salvation is not like jumping out of a plane, okay? Because salvation is a smart move. That's a dumb one. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, the, 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 the idea is this. The idea is that Faith has an active element to it. Romans says it this way, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With a mouth, confession is made of salvation. With a heart, you believe in the righteousness. He said, look, it, it involves an internal thing and an external thing. It involves an inward thing where you put your faith and trust in Christ and you say, yes, I want to believe. And then it involves a thing where you're not ashamed to tell anybody else you really don't care what people think. Why? It's that important to you. I don't care if people think me being married is good or bad. I'm married. I'm proud of my wife. I wear my ring proudly. I let everybody know she's my wife. Am I ashamed of it? What if you had known me for 20 years and I said, yeah, I'm secretly married. (laughs) Yes, this woman exists, but you'll never see her. You're going, it ain't real. It ain't real. Listen, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you really don't care who knows. There's an outward thing with you that says, you know what, this is real, this is genuine, and I'm okay with it. You heard me tell the story last week, but I, I think it's, it's very applicable. Um, yesterday we had Christmas at our house, and we found out that, that the girls are incredibly creative, because they decided to make people presents. <laughs> yeah, like, like in our entire house that's ever been a concept. Three guys, I don't think so. You know, three guys, you know, our, 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 our idea of Christmas is exchanging Best Buy gift cards. Um, and so all of a sudden then it was like, it, it was one of these things where you got a gift and it's like, they put a lot of thought into this and put a lot of work and put a lot of effort into it. And yeah, I like my gift card, but this is like really awesome. You know, And once in a while, even they would buy a gift that was really, really unique. It was like really, really cool. Like Josh got me probably one of my coolest gifts that I think so far this year. I'll take more. Um, but um, you've seen the Angry Birds stuffed animals. And I have the whole collection in of my office he got me last Christmas. This Christmas, you know what he got me? The Angry Birds Star Wars version of all the stuffed animals. So I have all the Star Wars version now. Um, but... Huh? Aren't you excited? Yeah, cool. Yeah, I know it doesn't take a lot to float my boat, but anyway, uh, here is my point. My point is this, folks. Listen to me. They're gifts that, knowing me, they 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 put that gift together to be able to bring joy to my life. What if I looked at Josh and said, "That's a really cool gift, but you wasted your money," and you know what? I don't want it. You know what? And Josh every day tried to give it back to me and goes, Here, Dad, this is for you. This is for you. And I go, No, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I want it. I want it. You know? What's that? Yeah, you'd break his heart. And at some point, guess what? At some point he's going to say, Okay, you don't want it. You understand the Christmas story? It's about God realizing exactly what you need. Wrapping up that package himself in human flesh. Dying on a cross. Loving you enough to say, I'm going to do that for you. And at the end of it, I'm going to offer you this gift. Here, every day. I'm going to offer it to you. I'm going to offer it to you. I'm going to offer it to you. And every day, you say, no, 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 no. And then your heart beats for the last time. And you stand before God. Whether you believe that was going to happen or not, doesn't matter. It happened and you're standing before a holy God who gave his life for you, and he has one question for you. What'd you do with my gift? Well, I didn't want it then, but I want it now. It doesn't work like that. Too late. I think James Weldon Johnson said it best. Too late, sinner. Too late. Beyond the reach of the love of God. God has to look at you and say, you know what? I got nothing for you. Depart from me. And you go, well, you know, if there's like, look, do the math. If there's a heaven, then there's a hell. But I can't believe a loving God would do that. A loving God didn't do that. A loving God said, stood in heaven, Satan. And his angel said, we don't want to follow you. We want to do it our way. And God said, fine, I'm going to cast you out of here. I've got to prepare a place for you. Here, I'll prepare a place for you. I I won't be there. Everybody for themselves down there, wherever it is. Everybody for themselves. And when you stand before God, and you've gone this entire life rejecting his gift, day after day after day after day, you know what you've said? You've said the same thing Satan said eons ago. I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And I says, all right. Your call. But I loved you. I gave you a gift. I offered it every Christmas, every day. I kept putting it in front of your face. I kept bringing people along. I kept doing things to try to get you to accept it. And you kept saying, no, 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 no. I got nothing for you. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. You would break the heart of the people who have given you gifts on Christmas Day to look at them and say, I don't want it. But we'll think nothing of breaking the heart of God every day. And you go, well, you know, I'm just not ready to accept it. Look, let's understand this. If I don't accept it, then what am I doing? I'm rejecting it. To not accept it is to reject it. Look at my wife and go, honey, thanks for the present, but... I don't want to accept it today. I've rejected it. You go, yeah, but you're gonna do it one day. Yeah, if I guarantee it I have tomorrow. But life doesn't have those guarantees. So if I reject it and die, I never accept it. Does that makes sense. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. This season about God loving you enough to say, here's my gift years, just take it. When I was 17 years old, 16 years old, Detroit, Michigan, I bowed my head and said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and Savior. I want that gift. I want it to be mine. From that point on, my life changed. If I stand before God, He's not going to care that I was a preacher. Not going to care how many years I was married, how many kids I had, what I did. My, he's going The big concern is going to be what you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And I'm going to say, Daddy, I'm going to say, welcome. 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 Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. Don't miss that story this week. Okay? That's what the season's all about. And for those of you who put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he didn't come so you could just live. He came so that you can have an incredible, abundant life in Christ. Don't miss that. Change what you need to change.